0: James. Raph. What do the people have to say about us? Thank you to everybody. Are you all right? Yes. Who have left us wonderful reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, jump on there and, and leave us a review, unless you didn't like it, in which case, we'll fuck off, obviously. Yeah, we're not using this for actual
1: feedback. It's just to kind of
0: it's, make it look good. It's to juice our metrics so yeah. more people can, can listen to us. Thank you for all the positive feedback that has come through thus far. We love our reviews, folks. We read out the
1: reviews. We Who's- do. We read
0: them out because people love, love, love to be- um, Acknowledged. Acknowledged. Yeah. You know? It's a cold, dark world out there. You just need someone to, to see you. Yeah. You are seen. You are heard. You are respected. What do we got? This is a really good show. I agree. I have a short attention span. This show can deal with tech stuff more efficiently and entertainingly than other shows of significantly greater length. My time is super valuable. <laughs> okay. And I don't need to speed it up. That was probably Mark Zuckerberg. It was probably Mark Zuckerberg. The username doesn't suggest that it was, but he wouldn't he wouldn't put his name there. No, he wouldn't. His Apple user ID wouldn't be Mark Zuckerberg. No. But imagine if you did get a review from Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg as the username. Yeah. That'd be huge. Well, look. What was their username? We
1: should shout them out. Tons of funds. Dollar sign dollar sign. Thank you for the review. Zuckerberg. <laughs>
0: Today's episode is obviously, well, not obviously. You've got no <laughs> idea what it's about. We put out a, a shout-out on our Twitter, at DanRoundPod, mm-hmm. for looking for questions for sort of a QA and a episode. It's an experimental format. Yeah. We've got 452 followers on Twitter. called not, Innovation. Not blowing the roof off, but, you know, it's a, it's a community. That's a community.
1: Yeah. The um, line is up and to the right. Exactly right. It is, yeah. But on Mastodon, we've got 3,500. We've actually got 2.5 million followers on Mastodon,
0: and they all work in IT, and they all have long, greasy ponytails.
1: Yeah, so downround at downround at, down at Mastodon. Downround at, down at
0: podcast.host slash community slash Mastodon dot downround. Yeah, join the community of 2.5 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, but a bunch of you sent in questions. Maybe too many to cover in one episode, but we're going to give a crack at answering them for you today. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to start from the top from Tom Thomas. Which, in your guys' opinions, website is the best one?
1: <laughs> the real answer is probably Google. It's very hard to go past Google.com. I think it's Google has, has lost the energy. Yeah, but like what's the best website then, mate? Um, you know that one, Clop? No.
0: <laughs> it was kind of like a flash game where you were playing like an athlete running on a
1: Athletic track, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you yeah, had yeah. like you had like the fact that you had to control it with the QWOP, yeah. case. I drew, like you had to c- kind of control its knees and yeah. feet, and had to get a kind of a rhythm going up. But Correct. it basically yeah, yeah. fell over backwards every time. That's right. To me, that was sort of like pinnacle? pinnacle, pinnacle of the internet. But that was that was like Flash game, right? Yeah, it was like New Ground Zero, and that's now been nuked though from the internet. No, it supports Flash anymore because it also just was able to install well, just well, trojans on your computer. Well, I mean, like, yeah, well, I mean, that was obviously right. But you know, there was no cultural moment like. The
0: Flash game era. Yeah. Slime volleyball. There was like a million games where you could like kill Osama bin Laden in various ways. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stick death. Stick death. There's no like avenue of expression like that on the internet anymore. (laughs) And I think we've suffered for it because people people express it on like Twitter and then it becomes a big political issue. Elon Musk has to come in and acquire the company.
1: Yeah. Back in the day, you could sort of express yourself through. I wonder how many people made who started by making Flash animations, like went on to, you know, make Overwatch or, you know, whatever, The Witcher. Yeah, it was definitely like a staging ground, like a training
0: ground for people learning how to code and animate and all that sort of stuff. So, anyway, that's, yeah, (laughs) newgrounds.com, the best website on the internet. (laughs) All right, great. Oh, look, this flows really well. The next question is from wait underscore 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 what? Musk, billionaire 4D chess playing techno savant. Or apartheid, old money-backed founder, cum culture warrior. Cum mm. culture warrior. <laughs> I, I guess, okay. That's you, you shouldn't use the "come" as an interstitial kind of like connective word. Mm. It's upsetting in 2022.
1: But anyway, why not both? I think honestly, like with Elon, he obviously has a kind of framework for how he runs his businesses, which seems to be employee psycho nerds, who may be on the spectrum that are happy to work kind of 20 hours a day towards a vision and just grind it out and won't question kind of his authority, but obviously very talented, very smart people. And fill your business full of those people and they will realize a goal. I say this with the caveat that we all know Elon didn't come up with the ideas for any of his businesses. He comes in early and then claims it's his and makes the actual founders sign NDAs that ensure that they say that it's his. But that's what seems to be his playbook, right? It's like you just stack your business with just like super hardworking nerds who are very talented at what they do. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's not the easiest thing in the world to make a company that builds rockets. Building rockets? Tough. Famously- We've given it a crack. Famously, rocket science- I mean, it's not brain surgery, no. but <laughs> famously
0: difficult. No, I, I kind of agree. There, there's like a um, a standard line of critique that comes in the internet with Elon Musk where it's kind of like, oh, well, he's actually fucking stupid. Look at all this stuff that's happening in Twitter. He's obviously a moron. If I could say something nice about Elon Musk, if I must, you know, you've twisted my arm. Obviously, he is the environment that he creates, as you say, he does hire lots of like very smart, very driven people, puts them into like a kind of crucible. Mm. that towards the achievement of a goal that theoretically is all about pushing humanity forward or whatever, building yeah. electric cars, building tunnels. Don't really know what those tunnels are for, but yeah. he's certainly building them, sending rockets into space, and it happens, you know? Yeah. Obviously, smart guy, he does have like an engineer mindset that other CEOs probably don't have. I don't necessarily mean he's an absolute coding genius, but he knows his way around, et cetera, et cetera. Whether that means that he's actually going to be run, able to run a social media network mm is, I think, a completely different issue. And we're about to find out whether his, like, bizarre management style, which has produced wins when it comes to SpaceX, Starlink, what have you, whether it's
1: actually going to work to make a company like Twitter actually function. It seems to me like, okay, something like SpaceX, sending rockets into outer space, his role there, I can't imagine he's getting that involved in the day-to-day of the engineering decisions at SpaceX, right? Like, he just doesn't have the area expertise, but he does set the strategic direction. We want to launch satellites on behalf of governments and massive companies around the world, and that's how we're going to make money. Yeah. That's what we want to do. And we want to land the rockets so that we save money on, like we we don't blow them up every single time they land. So that's our business model. So he's good at setting a business model, and this is like, now I'm going to hire the best people who are willing to work their ass off to achieve that. Yeah. It feels to me like maybe with Twitter, he's getting a little too hands-on.
0: Yeah, potentially. And also it's kind of like, it's easy to imagine some genius... If you want to work in sending rockets into space, you don't have very many choices. You either work for NASA, who are to SpaceX credit, kind of behind on a lot of things mm. and have lost their competitive advantage. Well they, they employ SpaceX to like launch things. Exactly. Like they, they contract them now. And so you go work for SpaceX. So automatically you've got the a pool of the most talented people in that space and then you grind them to the bone with your like particular management style. Mm. It spits out results. Great. With something like Twitter I can't imagine that, like, sure, there are going to be some, like, Elon fanatics who love his vibe, think his memes are really funny.
1: Horrifying thought. Yeah, or on those, like, HB1, like, working visas where they actually have to keep working at Twitter or else they get get deported. But in terms of, like, attracting top-tier talent,
0: if your pitch is, like, you get to make another fucking video platform, another social network, another place for you to sort of, like, waste your time arguing with people. It's not really quite as bold a vision as setting rocks into space, electrifying the world's class yeah, yeah. car fleet.
1: Anyway. It's also like you get to iterate on Twitter as opposed to a Builds, brand new build, business build that's new. going to change the anyway, world. so world. we'll see how it plays out. But Elon, my opinion, I don't think he seems that smart with regards to individual decisions and his ideas and his humour, but that management style seems, you have to admit it's gotten some results. Whether it happens with Twitter, hmm, time will tell. Totally. Anyway. hope that answers your question. And if not, um, you can fuck off, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, but also, yes, obviously, Elon, yeah, had money to begin with. They all do. That that is what it is. And the apartheid emeralds. I don't know. I've, I
0: haven't really looked too deep into how true that is, but it does sound funny. So, <laughs> um, avian term. From avian term. Do you think the tech downturn is a phenomenon we'll be talking about in a year or is it completely transitory? That's a very, very good question. Yeah. I think, my personal opinion, I think the tech boom of the past, let's say, decade, a bit more than a decade, kind of started with a lot of the the Facebook era of companies yeah. that emerged around, like, 2006, 2007, 2008. Keep in mind, this is a boom that happened after the dot-com crash. Yeah. So, dot-com crash happened in the late 90s. A lot of companies got burned. There were a few survivors. Obviously, Amazon was a survivor of that. Google was a survivor of that. Then there was kind of a lull. There nothing really happened in tech for, you know, half a decade as though everyone was still kind of licking their wounds. Yeah. We are living Yahoo in-
1: Yahoo was the, the biggest platform at the yeah. time. How's that looking right now? Well, it wasn't a platform, I suppose, is the issue. It was the biggest brand and yeah, AOL, but that never really touched it key.
0: Yeah. So the boom that kind of went from the Facebook era all the way through kind of like the Uber era, the Airbnb era, all these kind of SaaS companies, the massive explosion of like smartphone technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is like the period that we've lived in since like 2000, and, as I said, 2006 up until kind of now. Mm. I think that period is over. That boom is over. Obviously, we're in a period now where it's like less free money, less easy money. Companies are not getting capitalized and funded nearly as easily. We've talked about it over and over again on the podcast. Now companies have to be like, well, it's not good enough to accumulate 100 million users if you're paying 100 bucks to encourage those users to use their platform. They need to make money and all of that. Yeah. So I think that we're about to see like a bunch of different companies get wiped out. Bunch of different sectors potentially. But as for how long it goes or what the new kind of phase looks like or what powers it. And that, this is like what a lot of these companies are trying to figure out. Mark Zuckerberg is making a bet the, the next boom is going to be the metaverse and people yeah. hanging out with their friends in the metaverse. You know, I guess to an extent, Elon Musk is making a bet on what social media might look like in the future. Yeah. Crypto folk, etc. Obviously, the crypto, they were like, this is what the next boom is. Looking a little bit shaky now after FTX and so on. I don't know how long the winter. Is going to go, but I think in a year we will think of whatever comes next as being the next
1: thing. Yeah, whereas I mean, this period is over. It's a Minsky cycle. Like these things are cyclical and Facebook and Google to a certain extent, but Facebook is really the poster child for okay, we start a business. It made no money at first. Like it had no ads, it had nothing. Like I remember when ads were brought to Facebook right? yep. and it was pump money at something that is going to be successful one day, and it was. Like if you invested early in Facebook, you are fantastically wealthy, the best bet you could ever make. And that kind of set the blueprint. And, you know, obviously things like Google were kind of similar, starting with a couple of guys in a garage, creating a product that goes huge within a decade and makes you fantastically wealthy if you invested it when it was valued at $10 million. But that was applied to basically every single business that was started, every SaaS business, every, these businesses were able to keep losing money and Amazon is kind of to blame for this, when they went public. So they're on the stock market and they're still losing money and investors on the public markets are still happy to pump money into buying their shares because they know that one day they're going to be fantastically wealthy. Yeah, that zeitgeist is kind of done, but all it takes is another couple of businesses to come out of the ashes of what's happening right now, which is like, oh, okay, we're in the consolidation period. You have to be like a real business. You have to make money. You have to return money to shareholders in the form of profits for a couple of high growth companies to come out of it. And everyone be like, fuck, I missed out. Yeah, I missed out on that high growth company and us to have an even more insane boom time. And and like I would caution like at the end of 2001 or whatever, after the dot .com, I'm sure everyone was like, we're never going to do that again. And then we did. Yeah. Every SaaS company, every fintech company in totally. the world got just pumped money into it who didn't have unit economics. They didn't have a sustainable business model, but we did it again. Yeah. And crypto happened and we did it again. Yeah. And all of these sophisticated investors got burnt. So yeah. I wouldn't underestimate people no, like, totally. to the, do it again in 10 years time. you know. The one difference that I find really interesting about now as
0: compared to the last crash or whatever is like how insanely interconnected culture generally is. Mm. with the fortunes of tech companies. Culture is like led by what tech companies do. We experience culture entirely through like Apple's smartphones and on different platforms or whatever. Basically, the best way to express it is this very funny tweet that I saw the other day from a user on Twitter, Drew Austin. What if you discovered that your whole personality depended on low interest rates? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, that's... um. <laughs> So, it'd be interesting to see how, like, what the reverberations are. Cause I think the convergence of like culture and technology is so different to what it was after the last crash. So, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. But we always feel like we're living in like the most special moment. In the well, world. I do. Yeah, and I'm sorry. also
0: the main character. I'm like the hero of history.
1: And now is the most important point. Correct. Ever. Yes.
0: It's different. Right now is different. It's different. It's, yeah. Exactly. No one's ever experienced the way life the way I have. All right. Next, Kristen Johnson. Interested in hearing both your personal interests and opinions of crypto from the heady days of the 2017 bull run
1: compared to today? It's a good question.
0: What's your answer, Raf?
1: So I was pretty into crypto because I think I've told this story on downright before. I originally purchased uh, Bitcoin with Satoshi's vision in mind insofar as I saw Bitcoin as a means of buying and selling goods, a What's, replacement for cash. What sort of goods? Drugs off the dark web. Okay, yeah. Bitcoin was so cheap at the time that a few years later, during the bull run, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, what's going on here?" And I was like, "This is sick. I'm making money." <laughs> but as like I kind of got more into it, I realized quite quickly that the way to make money in this space is some random coin that promises a lot and delivers very little. You want to buy that. It gets massively hyped and you sell it and nothing ever eventuates and it's a hype game and basically these things are like an absurd speculative asset yeah and i was lucky enough to sell my crypto kind of at the top of the last bull run which was you know bitcoin was 21k in aud that was obviously very early compared to what it got to 80k or something like that yeah during that period i realized this is all bullshit and um a good product needs to have a use case and needs to provide people with some value and that value can't just be some like ethereal concept of custody over your own money or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's my opinion is that it yeah. doesn't have a use case. It's really user unfriendly. I was like abstractly
0: interested in like Bitcoin and stuff from like the early days in the sense of like, oh, this is like an interesting thing that's happening. I was never, I never really bought into the whole like cypherpunk. We're building stateless money. Mm. The original kind of like libertarian kind of digital gold bug understanding of it was never like super appealing to me. Mm. But, you know, I traced it along probably around the time of kind of like 2017, that era, I got into crypto on on a very, very casual basis in the same way that other people would like get on sports bet to bet on AFL games. Like, you know, it was was like low-tier gambling for me.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I made a little bit of money, nothing super exciting, probably, you know, less than I would if I'd been betting on the doggies, to be honest. But, you know, it was kind of there. When the Web3 period came around, which was sort of like early pandemic, NFTs, I got vaguely interested in at least like the promises of what they said they wanted to do. Mm. Obviously, like Web3 was like a rebranding effort more than anything, because when people thought crypto, they thought quite legitimately scams, Mm. because there were so many of those scams, hacks, heists, what have you. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I agree with the central thesis that a lot of the internet is busted. So they have a vision for what's going to happen next. I'm happy to hear them out. How's the blockchain going to help? Yeah. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I think I'm pretty clearly panned out that all you get is these kind of like overhyped pumped coins. Everything comes down to like people trying to make money
1: while getting new money into the sector. Some would call it a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And when you look at it, what problems does it actually solve? Yeah. And I think that was the other thing. Like As I got more and more into product and as I got older and we're trying to find businesses that solved certain problems that we have, it became abundantly clear that blockchain doesn't solve any of them. Basically, there is a more efficient way to do basically anything that the blockchain does without using a blockchain. Yeah. My general stance
0: now is like pretty obviously like relatively negative, but I'm kind of like, look, if it's going to do all this stuff, like just show me the money. Show me a product that works, that actually makes sense, is the, the average person could use it. It doesn't involve bizarre, you know, magic tricks with wallets and interfacing with DeFi protocols, like the sort of thing where here's the black pill for crypto. I'll put it right now. Yeah. After the FTX stuff, FTX has obviously now collapsed. Yeah, All these Bitcoin guys, all these crypto guys came out and were like, see, this is what happens. When you centralize When you centralize yeah. things. Yeah. This is all about decentralizing. You can't centralize things. You've got to self-custody your assets. You have to yeah. control your coins, not your keys, not your coins, yeah. that sort of stuff. No, no one look at, wants to fucking yeah, do that. No, nobody <laughs> has any interest in fucking doing that. Dude. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> the whole reason the financial system exists as it does now, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that it's evolved to – Make up for the fact that lots lot of people actually don't want to custody their own money. No. They don't want to look after it. They don't have to worry about it. Yeah. They would much rather have somewhere they can just put
1: it and someone else will worry about it. Yeah, but it has to be easy as well. And that's, that's what- also the reason why things like FTX were so big, because it was easy. Yeah. It had a nice user interface and this self-custody bullshit where you have like your own wallet and you are able to lose money all the time. I mean, even- in the FTX situation, right, it came out that in the early days they lost like a hundred million dollars because someone sent like wrapped ETH to an ETH address or some shit and so it just disappears into the blockchain forever. Yeah. Like no one wants that. Nobody nobody wants to even think about that sort of stuff happening.
0: It's well beyond people that whose life is like going to their job and coming home and like playing Xbox and going to sleep. Like Which is <laughs> I think like seventy five percent of the planet. So I mean like my general thinking of it is like you know, if you can't account for that and you genuinely think people are going to actually self-custody assets, you are, you're laughing. You're yeah. joking. You're joking yourself. No
1: one's going to do it for philosophical reasons. No. But yeah, give me a use case. Give me a good use case and I'm into it. I like the idea that me and you trustless, we can like trustlessly send things and it's, it's verified with no central authority. But if it's going to cost money, time, it's completely confusing and high risk, then I'm not going to fucking do it.
0: No, totally. Again, if it works in developing nations, amazing. I feel like El Salvador has shown that that is still not quite up to spec. Anyway, <laughs> um, we've gone on for too long. Yes. Thank you for your question. <laughs> um, next question is from down around fan number one, Luke Sesh.
1: Favourite crane? Well, this is an obvious one, right? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big cargo tech fan. I like the Kalmar E1 squared, right? This is like the crane for taking your big shipping containers off the boats, placing them on the docks. So, that's obvious. I mean, you know, any Finnish company in the crane space, I'm into. Great. Does that that answer your question, Matt? (laughs) Next question. Josh, why
0: would a rational adult go to a university in Australia in 2022 for a non-professional degree? It's a... Bit outside of the down round area of expertise, I certainly wouldn't. We're not career advisors. I wouldn't presume to tell anyone. But my thoughts: to get on the beers with people that you like, and yeah. then owe forty thousand dollars for doing so.
1: It's a good time to dick around and meet people who'll give you money down the line. Yeah, the that's, harsh truth. Yeah, totally. That's unfortunately the way our society works. Yeah, from Alex Tate. Keen to hear more
0: about Israel being the startup nation. James touched on the abundance of unicorns there in a recent episode. Mm. I did. Yes, I mentioned it in the context of shitting on Europe. That's more a,
1: unicorns out of Israel than the than, rest of Europe. The, the rest of the Europe. EU. Not including, Not in including Great Britain.
0: Correct. Israel has like a massive density of startups. They've got like over 100 unicorns, I believe. I think that's the the, the figure. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Huge amount of government support. There's been a lot of... A concentration of like engineering talent in Israel for a very long time since like after World War II basically. But also one of the things that supports it is the exact same thing that Kickstarted Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, which is that Silicon Valley built microchips for the US military. The Israeli tech sector supports
1: its kind of like arms manufacturing and defense industry. And it creates, you know, internationally- Yep. Top tier firms like NSO Group, famous the- for the Pegasus software. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of R&D there that is like military adjacent.
0: You can Google this as the, something called the Unit 8200. This sounds like a conspiracy theory. And I want to make incredibly clear I'm not going Kanye mode. But <laughs> <laughs> this is actually real. Unit 8200 is basically the signals intelligence group within the Israeli military. It's basically considered as good as the American NSA, just on a small scale. And you would be shocked at the number of people who served there. It's like full of like 18 a 21-year-olds doing signals intelligence who end up either founding a startup in Israel or go to the US to work at major firms. So, um, again, real. But basically, government funding at the end of the day. A lot of government support, essentially. Cool. From hot dog eating champion, in brackets, retired. Has social media upturned brand and lifestyle dynamics to the point that moving forward, businesses are going to have to create their own cults as a baseline marketing
1: practice? <laughs> well, yes. they, I mean, they all yes. want to and try to, I bet there's like, you start an agency that's called like Cult Gain, basically about like cults forming around business. Like you come to us, you give us a million dollars a quarter, we will form a cult around your business. That's a great business opportunity there. Start it right now. I'll invest. Coca-Cola will give you $20 million for that. I mean, more broadly in marketing now, marketing has evolved where like the whole cycle now has moved from this funnel of awareness to like completing the purchase that you have this flywheel where you create brand evangelists. So it basically has got to that point where at least marketing firms and I guess marketing influencers will tell you that, yeah, you want to create evangelists for your brand, people who love the brand so much. The, The funnel doesn't stop at purchase. It continues after purchase, so you're turning your purchases into evangelists. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. The other dynamic on the internet, one of
0: the, the great powerful fucking like psychic forces of the internet is like fandom. Mm. And I, you can definitely see that kind of leaking out into like brand fandom. Whereas oh, it, Tesla, it, it, obviously. Yeah, totally. Exactly. There are, Obviously, Apple has traded on this forever. There mm-hmm. are like massive Apple
1: fanboys. Um, Tesla definitely does it. Well, to the point where as a business model, like it is undeniable that Tesla's market cap, i.e. their share price- What percentage of that is just through this evangelism of the Tesla brand. People who don't own Teslas, but just love Elon, they love Tesla so much. It's got to be at least half. Those same people like buying the stock because they love the brand so much. Exactly. And your job as a CEO and a board is shareholder returns. So if it's actually more beneficial for your brand to like create these brand ambassadors, this cult-like behavior around your brand than it is to produce like a good that people want to buy, then it's your job in America. It's the law that you need to pursue that.
0: It's like, well, it's it's the joke, which is also true, which is that Tesla's actual product is not its cars, but its stock price. The same dynamic played out with like the GameStop stuff. Obviously, they had lots of like weird freaks piling in because they were like, thought it was going to, take down the system or whatever. But there were a lot of people that, like, became fans of fucking GameStop as a brand. Mm. And I feel like it does, it all sort of, like, radiates out from this idea of fandom. And 100% companies like Disney and Marvel and whatever, when they're advertising their films, are playing off and profiting from the notion that there are, like, hateful fans out there who... Disney gets a lot of mileage out of, like, people being racist or or offensive to, like, the stars of their films Mm. and then pushing back on it and, like, leveraging their fan base to fight back against those kind of people. Yeah. That becomes, like, that's definitely part of, like, the marketing plan and, like, the understanding of their
1: their launches. Yes. Um, Provocation is a revolutionary tactic, as Trotsky once said, and they obviously play into it. But some may say, maybe on a different podcast, not on, like, a tech business podcast, that the destruction of kind of our communal and social bonds has led to people identifying with brands as a replacement for community. I would never
0: say that. I would never say that. It's definitely for another podcast. But anyway, hopefully that was helpful. (laughs) Um, From user Henry on the computer. Hello, Henry. Do you reckon he's just listening at a laptop? Oh, he's on the edge of his seat. Did anything come from the news bargaining laws? Was it really just a way for Murdoch to get money from Facebook and Google or has it helped smaller Aussie news operations at all? I mean, yes, the the cynical view that it was, it was a way for, like, news corporation to sort of eke out money from um Facebook and Google, and that's definitely brought us to a certain level. It's not really where the initial impulse came from. It was actually the ACCC for our American listeners. It's the Australian Consumer Protection Bureau trying to, like, protect Australian businesses from the uh, encroachment of, like, American tech firms. It did play out as basically just like a handout to the major companies.
1: Um, very few smaller publishers actually got money from that. This is like Facebook, in order to keep publishing links to news articles, they had to pay the, the news firms, which the links came from.
0: Correct. Yeah, yeah. It has actually led to like a golden age of hiring in the Australian media. So companies like Nine, which owns the City Morning Herald, Nine News, The Age, etc., have actually been hiring a lot more journalists over the past couple of years since it was launched. So is News Corp and Murdoch and whatever, because part of the deal of them getting money was they actually had to spend it on journalism. So that happened.
1: It's pretty crony, that's oh, it's it's crony, absolutely.
0: But it's crony that it benefits sh- our
1: country. You know why? It was why a, not?
0: It was a shakedown, um, but like you know, with some antitrust sort of vibes. But. I don't think it really helped a lot of smaller publishers. No, I it definitely think, it definitely didn't.
1: I don't think Crikey is any better.
0: No, and also I feel like it's not going to last for very long. No, I know for a fact that most of Facebook's like news relations teams were absolutely like obliterated in their recent layoffs. So as a line item on a P and L, yeah, I don't. It may I, be getting a strike through soon. I don't think this is going to last super long. Anyway, I don't. I don't think that like news on Facebook is going to be a. a live issue for very long the google one might persist because obviously news is actually very important to google that's what people use
1: google for they search for stuff going on but facebook's entire strategy is moving away from links at all like obviously they want time on platform which means a tiktok-esque environment as we've discussed before yeah and they would they would also love you to like i don't know be in the metaverse
0: be like a big strong muscular version of yourself in, in the metaverse, yeah, and maybe you can. Read where, do, where do the journalists come into that? I don't think that they're involved. You can read a virtual paper. We'll go
1: back to like holy. Oh, that's true. Virtual paper. Drink, drink a virtual coffee. Swip, swipe through your paper. I mean, and like get on a train because again, they expect us to use the geography of the metaverse in exactly the same Get Getting the train now. to your, your digital job. Anyway, in fact, this is uh, the next question
0: is actually highly related. So that was a wonderful segue from our Raytheon employee of the month. <laughs> Uh, when all the office jobs are in the metaverse, do you think people will update their avatars when they get a haircut, (laughs) (laughs)
1: IRL? Yes. I feel like it will have to become social convention to do so. I think that that it's a money-making opportunity for the platform. Like, put your business hat on. If you force people's hair in the metaverse to kind of grow and then you require every month to spend your fucking Uh gems to get your hair remodelled then that's great. Yep. You're making money there. I think that's a, that's a good, good shout. I'd be interested to know what the social conventions will be
0: around like being a character in your virtual office. This is assuming any of this happens, which I think is very low likelihood. Let's say you work at Telstra in corporate. Yeah. Right? You work in their, their marketing department. Yeah. Would it be acceptable to
1: show up to your metaverse job at, at Telstra as Goku? <laughs> I mean, my first thought when it comes to metaverse and my first opportunity again, a bit of an arbitrage opportunity is obviously with the increase of AI, like as if you couldn't just get five AIs doing five different jobs, especially in marketing departments. Like as a marketer myself, a lot of people are spending a lot of time doing not a lot. Uh I reckon I could get AI to do five different marketing jobs at five big firms.
0: So basically what you're saying is instead of me being allowed
1: to show up as Goku, I would be automated out of a job entirely. No, no, I'm not saying you would. I think enterprising individuals, would just AI themselves. Oh, right, okay, and send themselves in. Into meetings and whatnot. As Goku, why not? It's like quirky James, you know?
0: Quirky James. That's the question I was asking. All right, but anyway, total answer, absolutely. Um, From Andrew James, Elden Ring or God of War Ragnarok? That's a James question. Uh, Elden Ring, come on. Let's be honest here.
1: That game
0: sounds excruciating. Oh, I, I, I loved it. In fact, I think I, we had that episode about Google Stadia the other week, and you were like, what's the last game you finished? And I, I completely froze. It would have been Elden Ring. I think it's still probably the last game that I actually finished. i played a few things since. But anyway, it was it was amazing. Moving on. <laughs> uh, from Holden Bloodfeast. Are the big four partners that sell work on Neom... Actually, entirely mercenary, or do they convince themselves it's actually somehow good for the world?
1: A great question.
0: Yes, they are entirely mercenary. I'm sure there are bit- Look,
1: lots of smart people work at the at the big four consulting firms. I'm the sure big four. We should we should uh, EY, PwC, Deloitte, McKinsey. Yeah, KPMG uh, management consultants that come in say, like, I'm a business, right? I sell toothpaste, and I need to innovate. I need to innovate. How do we grow? How do we grow faster? Well, you don't look internally. You pay someone lots and lots of money. You pay a management consultancy firm to come in and revolutionize your brand, give you ideas of where to go next, digital transformation, you name it. If you've need, if you've got a cultural problem, you hire one of the big four to come in and fix your culture internally, blah, 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 blah. They're knee deep. Not, not all of them, but certainly some of them. I'm knee-deep in organising neon. Listen to neon it. episode if you don't know what we're talking about. Saudi Arabia's big uh, futuristic city. Correct. City is the future where um, we're, we're uh, moving to down around headquarters. Look, I'm sure the partners are all pretty
0: mercenary, and I'm sure most of the people there are pretty mercenary. But look, I'm sure there are people there that actually are quite mentally stimulated by the idea of like solving this as a problem. Yeah. How would you build a big
1: cyber city out in the desert? Exactly. All, the bra- all the brainiacs are, are fully into it. I think it's very easy in a professional context – and I've been adjacent to certain things and also I've gotten like my head's gotten involved in certain projects that like looking back on were probably not that important or beneficial to anyone. But it's very easy when you're just given a problem to get highly invested in solving the problem without considering your greater impact or value. Like most jobs, for the most part, are any job are any jobs important? Are any jobs important? Is this podcast important? Why are we here? I mean, this
0: podcast is vital. What am I doing? This podcast is vital, but other jobs like, I don't know, farmer, bricklayer, nurse. Crane operator. These are extraneous. Podcasters are the lifeblood. Of global culture, and everyone else sort of just worked to support them. Cool. Uh, from Liam, what happens to all the fringe Twitter knockoffs now that Trump is unbanned? Uh, they probably wither on the vine and die. I think that was going to happen anyway. Mm. Obviously, Trump is kind of locked to his um, truth social, mm. where you post truths and re-truths of other people's truths. Might as well come to down round. Well, exactly. He, um, I imagine he has some contractual obligations, which is why- you know, he has been unbanned on, on Twitter but isn't going back mm. as yet. I'm sure he will at some point. Yeah, he, can't, he won't resist. He, he can't resist. He does have a poster's spirit. He's a poster. He's a poster. There's no very few... There's probably no other politicians that are natural posters. Yeah, genuine posters. There was that really funny... Um, article it was like Vanity Fair or something like that where they were talking about Trump's originally getting on Twitter back when he was not a politician. Mm. He was just at the Trump organisation. And I quoted the guy who used to be like head of social, the Trump organization. And they used to run Trump's Twitter account and they gave him they gave him the login or whatever while they were kind of tweeting for him. Then one day they looked at the Twitter feed and saw that Trump had like done a tweet by himself. And they were like it was like watching like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park open a door. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Anyway, it was a, it was a banger quote. But anyway, yeah, those knockoffs will die. I think it's it's even has nothing to do with Trump being unbanned. It's just that like now that Elon's in charge, the whole reason they left is because they thought lefties controlled Twitter mm. and they were being unnecessarily censored. So yeah, like, they were
1: being shadow banned. or so, whatever. yeah,
0: so their whole reason for existing kind of goes away. Anyway, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it was gonna work regardless. All right, and then the final one we have at our list here from Dan Nolan, previous guest on the podcast, and then Matt Cowgill another listener, both of them sent the same question phrased in the same way, so I assume there was some some measure of coordination there. <laughs> um, <laughs> some bullshit afoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your opinion on the new online safety codes? I don't really want to get into this, but it's basically like the forthcoming legislation here in Australia in an effort to protect people online. Sounds good. Sounds great. People are exposed to all sorts of threats on the internet, and we're going to empower the e safety Commissioner to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, it basically involves like railroading all the content on the internet through like our classification system for content, yeah. which is like, you know, this all movie. All down
1: round tweets are PG.
0: PG, exactly. We would never we would never cross that line with you because we respect you and we respect any children that might incidentally be hearing about this. I have had people tell me that they were listening to this podcast in their car and their young child has heard one of us say fuck. Um, very sorry about that. Maybe but also
1: like that's, what have you done to your children to make them enjoy in a car ride, like you listening to a, business tech podcast. Yeah, exactly.
0: Something has gone seriously wrong in that that
1: parental relationship. Anyway, um
0: it also kind of <laughs> Anyway, so I don't want to get because it's very complicated. My general opinion is that uh it's probably bad because the well it is bad cuz just in ter- Australia um operating sort of a any sort of censorship regime tends to not go very well. Regulation of the internet tends to not go very well when governments try to do it. In terms at least in terms of what content is available, so, look, I'm going to say it's it's probably naturally going to be a fairly negative thing.
1: Without knowing anything about it other than reading an article that was linked via Dan Nolan on Twitter, I think that people need to get over this idea of the internet being this free-for-all where you can post whatever you want. Censor it. <laughs> <laughs> Great.
0: Sounds good. Um, look, I hope all the people that wrote in, sorry, I apologize to those whose questions we didn't get to. There were a few other ones. We'll probably run another one of these if people liked it. I hope you did like it and found it useful. Um, <laughs> yeah, useful in what regard we were spitting bars as the kids would say i feel like there were a couple of facts there about the israeli tech industry <laughs> at some point and then everything else was sort of fluff but um we'll see you next time